title of my message tonight is Demands of the Day. I want to share my heart with you uh, about where I think we should be and where I think the church needs to be, because right now we have a dearth of leadership, true, honest, godly leadership. There are a few. There's a few in our government. There's a few that are that God has stationed here and there, but I believe we need to open our hearts to being all we can be where we are because no matter how small of effect you think you can have, your effect will mean something when all of us are engaged in moving the kingdom forward. We find ourselves in a dire situation. There's upheaval, rioting, overthrowing government. There are real possibilities that uh, come November, we could be going a different direction than we want to go. There's real possibilities. I mean, I heard at the first of the year Trump was a shoe-in. I'm not hearing that anymore. His approval rating just dropped 16 points in three days. I mean, it's, it's uh, and we've got, uh, you know, we've got Democrats that are actually bowing in, in the Hall of Congress with a scarf around them, a scarf from an African tribe that has slaves, by the way. So I don't even need to think they thought that through. They just thought it looked like an African thing, and so they bought one for everybody. But it happened to be, I forget the nation, but it's a nation that owns slaves. So they're praying against slavery and the misuse of our, our African-American brothers and sisters, but yet they don't know what they're talking about. But who would have known that we'd see members of Congress bowing on the floor before Black Lives Matter? Now, we, we're living in a, in a strange time. Mayor de Blasio just decided he was going to name one avenue in each of the boroughs of New York City, Black Lives Matter Avenue. Each borough, five boroughs will have that. One block from the White House, the mayor of Washington, D.C., put in big block yellow letters, Black Lives Matter. And I invite you to look at the Black Lives Matter website. It's anything but American. It's anything but American. So it remains with us. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there'll be a lot more. There'll be a lot more. God never promised that we'd be a majority. He's a majority. God plus me is a majority. Isn't it? If God's on my side there, I don't care how many are against me. We win. Um. God wants his people to mount up with wings as eagles, Isaiah 40, 31. Unfortunately, too many Christians live as chickens. This is an old story, but uh, I want to I read it to you. While walking through the forest one day, a man found a young eagle which had fallen out of his nest. He took it home and put it in his barnyard where it soon learned to eat and behave like the chickens. One day, a naturalist passed by the farm and asked why it was that the king of all birds she should be confined to live in the barnyard with the chickens. The farmer replied that since he had trained it to be a chicken, it had never learned to fly. The eagle thought it was a chicken. Still, it has the heart of an eagle, replied the naturalist, and can surely be taught to fly. He lifted the eagle toward the sky and said, You belong to the sky and not to the earth. Stretch forth your wings and fly. The eagle, however, was confused. He did not know who he was, and seeing the chickens eating their food, he jumped down to be with them again. Uh, the naturalist took the bird to the roof of the house and urged him again, saying, You're an eagle. Stretch forth your wings and fly. The eagle was afraid of his unknown, unknown self and 
world and jumped down once more for the chicken food. Finally, the naturalist took the eagle out of the barnyard to a high mountain. There he held the king of the birds high above him and encouraged him, saying, You are an eagle. You belong to the sky. Stretch forth your wings and fly. The eagle looked around, back towards the barnyard and up to the sky. Then the naturalist lifted him straight towards the sun, and it happened that the eagle began to tremble. Slowly he stretched his wings and with a triumphant cry soared away into the heavens, never to return to the barnyard. I believe more than now than ever, God is calling us as eagles. God is calling us as leaders in, in our communities and in our nation. And I think too long religion has made us chickens. We don't think we can subject a change. Who are we to subject a change? We don't realize how powerful our prayers are, how powerful our words are. Our words create. I want to share it to you tonight, with you tonight so we can take our victory to another level. Because most of the people I know in this room were living a fairly normal life. God has given us everything we need. But how many know God wants to take us to another level so that we can see a community change? I don't know about the world. I'd like to see the world change. I don't know about the nation. I dearly want to see the nation change. I don't know about the state of Indiana. Um, Downstate Indianapolis is another foreign country. I don't know, but I'd love to see Indiana say, but I do know about Fulton County in this region. I would love to see this area come alive for God. I would love to see it. So I want to go through these six or seven points with you. If you have your Bibles tonight, you're going to want to turn there. I think most of the scripture will be up on the screen, but I find I like to look at my Bible as well. So if you do that, turn to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 6 and verse 22. Uh, First, I believe we need to live our life in the light of eternity. I remind myself at least once a week, I've only got a few more years and then eternity. I can put up with almost anything on this earth knowing that I, eternity awaits me. I, I don't know if you ponder that or you, a lot of times I ponder what it's going to be like to be in a timeless place with God where there's no yesterday, there's no tomorrow, it's eternal. How many know that's going to be pretty neat? Eternal with no time. But until then, this is the green room, this is the waiting room for heaven. And God wants us to be active. So I believe first we need to live our life in the light of eternity. Matthew 6.22 says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. What that says to me, and I hope says to you, is not just our physical eye, but what our eyes are looking at in the spirit. It's a very spiritual world that we live in. In fact, the spiritual world is more real than the physical world. Hello. What we see with our natural eye needs to be filtered through what we see in the spiritual eye. Ephesians 1.18, we've been going through Ephesians, if you recall, Ephesians 1.18 says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened or being opened up, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. So first we need vision to see spiritual things. We need to see what God is doing in the spirit. 
God is not taking a vacation. He's not waiting for something to happen. He's always moving forward. The promise that Jesus uttered out of his mouth is a kingdom principle. He said, he who began a good work in you shall complete it. Shall complete it. So if we have the vision to see spiritual things, we'll have vision to see natural things. The great theologian T.E. Lawrence said, All men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds awake to the day to find it was all vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for the many act out their dreams with open eyes to make it possible. We need to learn to dream again. Yes, the situation is rife with all kinds of anger and malice and destruction, but God, but God is ready to do something powerful. In Christ, we can see both the spiritual and the natural. If we see all spiritual, we're not going to be any good in the physical world. I see posts all the time of people saying they're prophets, talking about all this spiritual stuff. Hey, we live in the real world. The world is in need of us addressing those situations. If we see all spiritual, we used to say back in the day, heavenly minded, all spiritual blow up and all Bible, you'll dry up. How many know we need to see the physical and the spiritual together? We need to see and discern both so that we can make a movement towards extending God's kingdom instead of seeing it atrophying. It's like John said, there are churches that are taken aside politically of that which I believe is the enemy of the cross. Secondly, first is living life in the eternity of God. Second point is knowing the power of God and comprehending scripture. While we're looking and we're seeing, we're visualizing spiritual things and we're seeing the natural things, we need to know the power of God. Jesus answered and said to them in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. The religious men of the day are making the same mistake the church is making today. A lot of of the church has turned away from the problems of the world and looking for God to rescue us. God is not coming to rescue the church. I can't find that in Scripture anywhere. He's not coming to rescue us out of a dire situation. He's coming victorious, church. That has won the battles. That is standing waiting for her groom, the bride. The error is brought about by ignorance or rejection. A bunch of the church has fallen on uh, just saying all the things people want to hear. Having itching ears, they draw people to themselves. Everything's going to be okay. Everything is not going to be okay. In the kingdom of God, yes, but in the world, if we're looking with our physical eyes, there are things that are going to face our children and our grandchildren that we'd rather not have them face. Our prayers then become selfish. We say, God, hurry up and come so my children and grandchildren won't have to face what most likely they will. And we pray piecemeal. We pray in four-year increments. Many Christians have gotten so politically involved, they pray in four-year increments. God just put Trump in four more years. How many know four more years is not going to solve the problem? It's not going to solve the problem. All it'll do is delay the problem. 
Because the problem is sin. The problem is people taking over, see. Believe what the Scripture teaches. First study it, know what it says, and believe what it says. The Scripture tells us that God is victorious, that He's coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle. There is a work that God is doing that we need to have our spiritual eyes open. All the while, Scripture told us, be not deceived, God is not mocked whatsoever a man. He didn't say a Christian man. He didn't say a spiritual man. He didn't delineate. He said, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. We've sowed so much sin in this nation, now we're reaping it. Now we're reaping it. And what is the answer to the solution to that sin? It's to preach righteousness. So there's repentance. Trust the Lord. If you're unsure what the scripture says, trust him. There's a lot of Christians I hear in fear right now. What's going to happen? Trust God. He's in charge. His power includes these two things. Number one, his sovereignty. We must never forget God does not give up his sovereignty for anybody or any situation. He's never not sovereign. Come on, somebody. It's like me. I'm never not ugly. I'm always ugly. I can't be any better looking than I am. Right? God is always sovereign. His character is sovereign. The second thing is faith in doctrine. Listen to me. 98% of the time, God does what his word said. We need to trust him for the other 2%. Sometimes I want to say, God, are you really still on the th- are, you, are you in control of this thing? And of course he is. Of course he is. But in his sovereignty, he created man with a free will. So man is doing what man will do. And I think one of the things that I said several weeks ago that I pondered many times, people do what they have to do because people did what they wanted to do. God gave a free will to man, so many are having to do things because somebody chose to do things. Never expect God to live to the standard that he gave us. Never expect him to live to the standard. He is God. He's sovereign. He'll do what he wants to do. We think he's destroying, he's not destroying, he's always building the kingdom. Psalm 77, 19 says, Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. Psalm 115, 3, But our God is in heaven, he does whatever he pleases. He does whatever he pleases. So that leaves us with some ramifications of our Christian life. The third point I want to make tonight, be serious about our Christian life. Be serious about it. 2 Timothy 2.11, this is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we also shall reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Be serious about the Lord. Be serious about our walk with him. This is, after all, laying the groundwork for eternity for us. Paul says that when we get there, when we're standing before the throne, everything will be tried as if by fire. Wood, hay, stubble, precious jewels. How many know I want my box full of precious jewels that only get brighter when they're burned? 
Be serious about this Christian life that we so carry around with our little, you know, our, our Christian music and thing. We need to have a relationship with God. Seek the Lord. And I want to make these five points about that. Seek the Lord. Number one, willfully seek Him. The will to do His will. God will never make us do anything, but He wants our will to line up with His. We learn, if we didn't learn anything about the Garden of Gethsemane, we learned that Jesus Himself said, God, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. That's what God is waiting for us to say at every day, not just once. We could say, God, do your, it's your will and not my will. And then we live the rest of our lives doing what we were called, what we thought we want to do. God calls us to his will. John 7, 17, Jesus said, If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. We willfully follow after God. Secondly, realistically, achievable expectations. We keep talking about our community changing. What can we do? What's the practical steps that we can do to see a change? Instead of just waiting for a miracle to happen, and those, those things are a part of the mix, just practical ways of, of uh, achievable, bite-sized, achievable goals to see people. And, and people will watch and see the victory, even if it's step-by-step step and not all at once. We want these miracles to happen. That's why we have, you know, we have churches with the sign in the yard, revival this week, as if one week is going to change a whole year. How many know that revival is a way of life? It's not just a day or a special day you set aside. Revival is a way of life, realistically. The third uh, point I want to make about seeking the Lord is do it deliberately. Do it deliberately. Make it your first thing you do in the morning, the first thing you think about when you have time to think about anything. You think of what, what is God's will for my life? What should I be doing? That, that seems like it's an, an over-the-top That's what it is. It's over the top. And that's where it needs to be. Deliberately. Diligently and determined. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. God never asked us to do what Jesus didn't do when he was here. He walked the earth completely given to the kingdom of God. And he said, if you want to follow after me, you've got to die to yourself and pick up your cross. Not only realistically and deliberately, but exclusively seek his kingdom. Matthew 6.33 said, seek first the kingdom of God. So in every decision we make, listen, from the way we spend our money to the way we spend our time, we ought to be asking God, what do you want me to be doing? Maybe some of us just need to sit down and write letters to our loved ones. Maybe some of us need to get in touch with somebody or or make that special stop. Whatever it is, we've got to infect this nation once again with the kingdom of God. Not just pretty Bible stories, but the kingdom of God. So how many know the kingdom of God changes things? It restores marriages. It sets the captives free. It heals the drug addict. It heals the sick. The kingdom of God takes care of every facet of life. So exclusively seeking his kingdom. Then lastly, number five is sacrificially. Our time, our resources, even being inconvenienced. 
Oh, don't tell me that. I've got my own time. No, being inconvenienced. 2 Timothy 2, 3, Paul is, is, um, is talking to his son in the faith, uh, Timothy. He said, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. God reminds me every day that we're first in the kingdom to serve him. Everything else comes second. Come on, somebody. And it may mean, my fourth point tonight, it may mean deliverance or dignity. It may mean that we get humble enough to confess our sin before God and let Him change us. Because many of us have gotten to a place, many Christians have gotten to a place where I'll continue to sin and I'll get forgiven later. Confess your sin, get your heart right. We can't have deliverance and dignity both. Deliverance means we humble ourselves. Preserving dignity allows spiritual blackmail. Get it right with God. The cost is worth it. What is the challenge is the payment. And our payment is humility and confession. Let God have all of us. Our prayers, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Read it slow when you read it. The effectual fervent prayer, that's great. White hot prayer of a righteous man. How are we righteous? We're righteous by, re- by cleaning ourselves up and being right with God. Deliverance from the things of the world. Fifth point I want to make tonight is our weapons. Our weapons. Matthew twenty two sixteen, And they sent to him their disciples of the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true. Teach the way of God and truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. We must have sincerity in our claims. Walk our talk. Our weapons are useless if we're living a hypocritical life. Secondly is love with no compromise. It is very hard right now at this juncture in our nation. One of our weapons that we carry that few realize is a weapon is love. It's a weapon against the enemy. Because the enemy expects to stir us up in hate, to divide us by race, to divide us by sin or no sin. Too long the church has been wagging its finger at the sinners saying, get your life right. Instead of saying, I love you. No, love disarms you. I told the story about the lady was my spiritual mother that I was sitting on the, on the floor of my brother's trailer cross-legged and in a pair of shorts, very hot day. And she came in, had no shirt on. I was smoking a bong, which I don't know if nobody knows what that is. So got dope in it. And I was smoking out. And she came in and got down behind me and hugged me from behind. And squeeze me and she says, I love you and Jesus loves you. How many know that was a weapon? Oh, I sloughed her off and said something smart to her. But that went in my heart. We have to remember, love is a weapon. It's a weapon against the darkness and the evil. Don't worry about somebody cleaning up their lives. Once they get saved, God does that naturally. You know what the Bible says? Ask Brandon what God does when you say yes to him. He just comes in and cleans up. 
If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Love is a weapon. We say we can't love somebody. Yes, you can. You can love them. God will take care of them. What we want is sincerity in our lives to get them to a place where they hear God. They'll never do that with us wagging our finger at them. Teach His way. Love with no compromise. When we love somebody, we're not going to lie to them. We're going to love them to a place of hearing God. You know what that is? It's losing the fear of man. It's losing the fear of man. Don't be afraid to say the things. Why people don't witness lots, they're afraid to offend somebody. Don't be afraid. First pray, go talk to them. They got to hear the truth. Come on, somebody. I preach in the right crowd tonight. Somebody has got to hear the truth. Lose the fear of man. Don't worry about what they'll say. Think about them going to hell. Do not regard position or person. Long time ago, I just decided I wasn't going to put anybody up on a pedestal. You know why? Because I spent time with God. He's on the only pedestal I have in my life. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't get all googly about saying, you know, I see the man of God. No, the man of God puts his pants on just the way I do. He's got the spirit of God just like I do. The woman of God has got, come on somebody. We elevate people too much without elevating God. And they'll fall off. Hopefully not too far, but they'll fall off. Number six tonight is godly motivation in judging. And the thing is, this is more real for me right now than any time in my life because I'm mad about the way things are happening in this, in this nation. And when I see people interviewed and I see people posting things and talking about things, I want to get angry with them and judge them. John chapter 5 and 30, Jesus said, I can of myself do nothing as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Now, if you read that, knowing what motivated Christ when he was on the earth, he was called a friend of sinners. He hung out with um, prostitutes, tax collectors, and people that were the dregs of society. He hugged lepers for Pete's sakes. And out of that character comes this. I can myself do nothing. I do what the will of the Father who sent me. What did he do? He hung out with people that needed him. Yes, we must judge. Making judgments that are spirit-led though. Yeah, we know people are in a bad way. Yeah, we know people are blind and deaf and dumb. Yeah, we know that they're sinners. Yeah, we know that they hate. Yeah, we know that they want to murder and pillage and do all of that stuff. But God died for them. God died for them. We, we often say Jesus. Yes, Jesus. But Jesus and God are one. God came himself in the form of a man and died on the cross. For those people that so exasperate us sometimes. The will of God will void our prejudices and preferences. The will of God, if we'll listen to what God is saying. Jesus said, but the will of the Father who sent me, that I do. The will of God will void our prejudices and our preferences. We'll love the unlovable. It's a weapon for us. And if Jesus was called to do the will of God, how much more should we? We're called to do His will. 
I've lived long enough with the Father to realize that contentment comes from experience. Contentment comes with experience. We know God's on the throne. We know it's going to be okay no matter what it looks like in the short term. We know in the long term God's going to work it out. Thank you, Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, if you look at Paul's life, that was some state, buddy. I've never been in the ocean all night three times. I've not been beaten with 39 stri- 40 stripes less one, he says, three times. Come on, someone. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We often quote Philippians 4.13 over our bowl of cereal. If we read it in context, how many know Paul was saying, no matter what I've done, abasing or abounding, Whatever state I am to be content, I can do all things. And it may get to a point before you and I see Jesus face to face. It may get to a point where we are going to have to live this passage. Say, well, the the America will never get like that. Don't be so sure. You wouldn't be talking so sure if you lived in Minneapolis right now. Downtown Minneapolis, where many people live right off the south part of... uh, Minneapolis is like a war zone. It looks like Sarajevo. Bombed out buildings, burned down buildings, trash all over the place. Come on, somebody. Business is gone. Our relationship with God is not contingent on external external circumstances. Let me say that again. Our relationship with God is not contingent on external circumstances. Whatever's happening around us, there needs to be peace within us, joy within us. Christ Christ gives us something different than the world. He said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Our lives, like it or not, include the cross. Our lives as Christians include the cross. Jesus said, you're going to carry the cross, you're going to die daily. Now, die means a cessation of something. We think about death as a continuance. Yes, we'll never die spiritually, but dying to ourselves and our desires and our wants is a terrible thing. It hurts to die to our own self. It's difficulty and it's pressure. But God warned us. Jesus warned us when he, when he said to his disciples, if you want to be a follower of me, you're going to have to die to yourself daily. Pick up your cross and die to yourself daily. He empowers us for the task of service. He says he he knows that we're going to face bad times. He equips us for that. God didn't do anything. We can't ever accuse him of surprising us. God, now you're surprising me. I thought I was going to live in the freest nation in the world. Everything was going to be hunky-dory. And my biggest problem was a flat tire on the way to Kroger's. No, it's going to be... Some tough times, tough decisions we're going to have to make. Many, uh, one of my best friends in Philadelphia was an African-American. Actually, they owned a church. We owned the church, and they were, they were rent, uh, buying it from us, mortgaging. And we got pretty close. His name was David Gaines. And uh, 
I was sitting outside the church one day and we were trying to work out they were behind in payments and I told the story about forgiving the interest and all of that. So we were sitting in the car and he began to weep. And I said, Dave, what's the matter? And he said, well, I wanted to let you know uh, what I've been through. And he had, uh, him and his wife had come home. They were out late to a meeting of some kind and they'd come home about midnight, one o'clock. They had a little baby girl. I don't know how old she was, a year and a half or something. And she had fallen asleep in the back seat. It was in Philadelphia in the middle of August, so it was like 110 degrees out at night with the, you know, with just the way the heat was. And um, so they gathered up the other two kids and took them up to, to, and put them in bed. Neither one of them got the baby out of the seat. They forgot. She thought he got him, and he, 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 he thought she got him, her. And uh, the baby died. Um, so they went down the next morning, of course, called the authorities, and they came, and he was put up on charges and, uh, and uh, was almost lost his church, almost lost his, you know, he almost went to jail. And uh, somehow he got off. I don't know if he's on probation or not. But I said that to say this. They never lost their faith nor their marriage. It was tough. It was tough. And he went through the whole thing. Him and his wife had to go through the accusations. Why didn't you? Why didn't you? Why didn't you? Why didn't you? And they had to work that through. And they had to pray that through. It wasn't based on the circumstances that were in front of them. It was based in their eternal relationship with the Father. And instead of me thinking any less of either one of them, they became very dear to my heart because they made it through one of the most difficult times that almost no couple could ever make it through. Our relationship with God is not contingent on external circumstances. Did God know David and Yvette were going to go through that? Yes. And he was endeared to them and carried them through that very tough and awful time. That brings me to the eighth point tonight. Trust him when we are empty. Trust him whenever we are down and out and empty. And he said to me, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, the big secret in the kingdom of God is not how strong we are, but how weak we are. The big secret in the kingdom of God is counting on His strength, His vision, His purpose, It's not contingent upon how strong we are. Matter of fact, the stronger we are, the less we have reliance on God. Trust Him to fill us up when the red light flashes. Gas is low and the red light flashes. You're looking for a gas station. Trust Him to fill you up. How we conduct ourselves in the powerless place determines our conduct in the powerful place. Let me say that again. How we conduct ourselves in the powerless place determines our conduct in the powerful place. What I saw in David and Yvette Gaines after I knew that story and saw them ministering, he could come to my pulpit anytime. I, I went to his church. He came to my church. We, I heard him preach. He was a man, man and woman of God that had been through the fire and serving God. Trust him 
when we are empty. And right now, a lot of us are trying to find the strength to go on after all this thing. I I said, I can't hear any more bad news. I can't hear any more of this. This happened and that happened and the country's gone to hell and all of that. So I don't want to hear any bad. I want to trust God in the empty times. My ninth point is complete dependence. Complete dependence on Him. Because we learn when we are empty and He fills us up, if not for Him, where would we be? How many times in your life, in your Christian walk, have you got to a place where you say, I don't know what's going to happen, and all of a sudden God just comes and floods your heart and changes things, and you're on the other side and you're so thankful. We need complete dependence. It shouldn't surprise us that in our weaknesses is strength. As a matter of fact, we should strive to be weak. This is learned behavior and must be practiced. God, I must decrease that you may increase. Don't worry about correction. God is very good at correction. Has anybody in this room ever had to remind God you need to correct it? Anybody? Man, when you need correction, God's good at correction. He says, come here. You and I need to talk. Come on, someone. My mother used to take me out to the back door. She said, Ricky, see that tree over there? She'd give me a knife. She'd go cut a limb off that tree over there. Go cut a switch off that tree. She'd call it a switch. Anybody else got the switch? And I'd bring that switch in, in that branch, and she'd take the leaves off of it and take the knife and cut the little little twigs off of it. And wait till it was nice, just that little switch. And boy, she she could jerk that wrist too, buddy. God knows what He's doing when He chastens us. As a matter of fact, He chastens us because He loves us. Complete dependence. He'll correct us. He'll take care of us. But we have to be willing for Him to take care of us because He's not going to chase us. Come here. We willingly come to Him. It's a wonderful day to be alive. I keep saying that. I haven't got anything to prove it. I probably pray the same prayer once in a while that you pray. God, come quickly and get us out of this mess. Could it be that you're going to come now? And then I remind myself of all the people that need him right now. All the people that, if he comes right now, the millions of people that will step into a Christless eternity. Do we really want that? I don't. I don't. I was a candidate for lowest part of hell, and he rescued me. And I know he's got room, lots of room in heaven. My last point tonight is to love him with everything you have. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, they came and they said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? What, which is the great commandment in the law? You know what he said. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, cardia, center, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I love that. I love that. It's like, how can you wrap up 39 books in one sentence? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Boom. Come on, somebody. That's it. On all that hang the law and commandments. 
Is this your life? Is this your life? Do you love him with all your heart, soul, strength, mind? Only you know that. And do you love your neighbor as yourself? It's a little bit more difficult. The accuser says you can't. The enemy says you can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You're nothing but a filthy sinner, blah, blah, blah. The deceiver, the same one, says you are. You're perfect. You're okay. God's. The truth is we're a work in progress. Thank God he's not finished with me yet. The truth is if we were perfect, we wouldn't be here. We'd already be in heaven. So that means there's something else that God's working me on, with me on. See, the problem is not really with our listening. It's our hearing. We all listen. Few of us hear. Am I the only one that when God is try- working on a certain part of your life that you hear it in every song? Pick up a book and it's that same theme. Am I the only one? Have you ever had that happen to you? You're like you're talking to somebody and you've just been praying through something and somebody says something that God told you in prayer or, or you showed you in scripture. Somebody says it again. You get in the car to leave that person because you're uncomfortable. Turn on the car radio and the radio is singing the song that's convicting you of what God told you and what that person said. And you get home and you see a little devotional book and you open it up and it says the same thing. See, God is the hound of heaven. He'll keep because we need to hear, not just listen. Because hearing brings fruit. It changes us. And if we could could stop time right now, if we could just stop time right now, what needs to happen to the church is take the snooze off your alarm. It's not time to snooze right now. In fact, we ne- there's never been a time in my lifetime as a Christian where I feel the need to be awake all the time. To be sensitive. I wake up in the middle of the night and I, God wants me to pray to pray because I know my prayer is enacting something. Come on, someone. It's a very dangerous time we're at in this nation. Very dangerous time to where this nation goes next. Come on. And, and, and I believe it's going to be a great outpouring of God's spirit. He keeps comparing the late 60s with now with me and my heart as I pray. I'm believing that God is going to have his way in that sovereignty that he is, the sovereign God that he is. Amen? God is so good to us. God is so good to us to remind us and to, to hold us accountable. And that's what he's doing. He's holding us accountable in this minute. Oh, yeah, we can walk away and say, okay, that was... That was good. I, I agreed with that. And then not do or, do or change anything in our life. All of us need to make an immense step towards obedience. Because what, how we conduct ourselves in the powerless place determines our conduct in the powerful place. Ooh, amen to that. We're going to see great things happen. I believe that with all my heart. In the meanwhile... Death and destruction are all around us, but God is going to have his way. God is going to have his way. He's bringing forth a bride without spot and without blemish. Now preach back to me. What's God saying to you about all that? Is the Holy Spirit telling you about the day and the hour? Don't everybody talk at once? Amen. Yes. 
Lose the fear of man, yeah. Yes, wouldn't that be something? That would be a miracle. Chuck Schumer, I'm saved and healed and delivered. I want everybody to know. And Nancy Pelosi, that would be something else. Think it could happen? Did it for me. And trust me, you would not allow me in your house before I was saved. I'd have stole you blind. I really would have. God, how many know God had mercy on us? God had mercy on us. Someone else, what God saying to you about these times? Yes. Well, the the thing is, it's given it so much fuel, and I don't want to preach another message. But I've thought a lot about this. What happened? And I saw the video myself, which I wish that I never saw. I wish I never saw it of this man dying, and him pleading for his life. And I have a sister-in-law that will not see any violent movies or TV shows or anything because she just can't sleep and she just doesn't want to see that. But when you go to see a movie where they shoot each other, you know after the camera goes off, the guy's going to get up and they'll go have coffee together. But this man, the nation watched him die. And that does something to you. And in this nation, the white guy was on top of the black guy. So the black people took that personally. Whether or not that was true, because they didn't watch they, right, they didn't. They didn't watch him die. They watched this man this die. Guy was not a hero. This no, guy was criminal. but but they watched. They take his body from here to there to there But you. But the point I'm trying to make is, they watched him for eight minutes die. That's a terrible thing, and for people that don't have Christ to see somebody. I mean, you've. I've watched people die in a hospital bed, and it's disturbing. I watched that video and it was very disturbing to me. It brought up a lot of anger in me. That that man, no matter what he was, begged for his life and they let him die. People stand around and let him die. And so that's what really, I'm not saying I I guess he was a criminal and all of that. And I don't think it was right that they've made such a big thing of it. But the point is, is his death has caused a lot of angst in people. A lot of anger. Yeah. Didn't see it right. Didn't see it. No. No, but he didn't deserve to die like that either. Anyway. It's it's right. I mean, it's razor edge. Yeah. Razor edge right now. No. It's definitely energized by the enemy. Because you could fly anywhere in the world and get off the plane and mention uh, his name. Everybody knows who he is. Yes, still on the throne. I'm glad of that. If he leaves, I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, don't trust me. Just don't watch it. That's right. Be the church. Yes. Love is a weapon. Love is a weapon. Anyone else? Yeah. Too long we've had sloppy, agop- uh, sloppy agape and greasy grace. Remember you say that all the time? Sloppy agape and greasy grace. <laughs> no, it's real love we need and real grace that we need for these folks. Father, we pray for our community. Lord, even in this community, there's Christian against Christian, person against person. As James said, all that's given glory to the enemy may not have any more. Lord, we pray for 
our community. We pray, God, that we'd come together under that banner of love. That, Lord, the church would be known of that we're a place that loves, that has patience with those that are hurt, those that are in sin, those that are bound in, in um, uh, addictions. Father, we just pray, God, that you would give us the temerity, the strength, the boldness to be inconvenienced enough to pray until we see you move. And Lord, be obedient. When you tell us to speak, we'll speak. When you tell us to act, we'll act. We do that according to your loving kindness and mercy that you've shed abroad in our hearts. And we give you glory for it. Father, seal this word in our hearts tonight, God. Help us to be all that we were called to be when you said, come and follow me. And we'll give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.